You're listening to the Healthy Divorce Podcast. Join us as we help you navigate your divorce without going broke, relationships in ruin, or ending up in court. You'll get into financial and emotional shape, make sense of the legal process, get strong enough to negotiate for yourself, be a mindful parent, stay amicable with your spouse so you can get a fresh start. I want to introduce who's here with us today because we have a great panel. We have Mackenzie Frankel, and she is a financial planner, a certified financial planner. She's a partner with Entrust Financial and experienced in providing clients with investment and advanced planning services that they can make informed decisions and achieve all that's important to them. And so welcome, Mackenzie. Um, I want to give you, before I go and introduce the other two callers, just give you a few moments to introduce yourself and say hello to our callers. Hello, everyone. I'm very excited to be on the call today, and I'm happy to help. Um, Adina, you know, she already said exactly what I do. Um, I specialize in helping executive women and their families achieve everything that's important to them. Right. And so I know, Mackenzie, one of the reasons we're excited to have you on is that you do work a lot with people going through transitions, as you said, with women, in particular in your practice. And um, so we know that that's going to be a great benefit to many of our callers. Um, we also have on the phone with us Lisa Corrup. She's an insurance broker, health, life, and disability insurance. And Lisa is founder and president of Positive Insurance Solutions, and she helps individuals and families obtain the best health benefit plans possible so that they can navigate in the most affordable way and really find those plans that are going to work for them. And, you know, when I spoke with Lisa on the phone, just so grateful to have somebody really personable and knowledgeable to talk to because the whole thing of insurance plans can be pretty daunting and to have somebody who really can listen to your personal needs and um, take you by the hand is a great benefit. So welcome, Lisa. I'm glad you're on the call. Do you want to say a few words? Sure. Thanks, Adina. Um, good afternoon. Um, as Adina said, my name is Lisa Korad. Um, I'm so happy to be here today talking with you. Um, I'm a health insurance specialist for individuals, families, and small groups, but my niche is really helping those people who purchase health insurance on their own. Um, I can be there to, you know, basically for hand-holding because um, there's a lot of very confusing information out there, and um, it's hard to navigate around with all of these changes. So um, that's what I'm going to be talking to you about today. Thank you. Thanks, Lisa. And finally, we have Cheryl Connor, who has over 20 years of experience as a mortgage advisor, currently with Philadelphia Mortgage Advisors. And um, Cheryl helps many clients through the sometimes challenging process of refinancing and purchasing homes after, through, during, and after divorce. And just talking with Cheryl, reading her articles that she's written, just an absolute wealth of information that she has on some of those real nuance and details that can affect how the process goes. So I'm so glad. Welcome, Cheryl. You want to say a few words? Thanks, Athena, and good afternoon, everybody. Um, as um, Athena mentioned, I have been in the mortgage business for over 20 years and have seen many, many changes in the mortgage process and products. And I really feel the most important thing when you are going through a separation and divorce is to have somebody that will listen to you. Every situation is unique. Um, mortgage products themselves can be unique um, based on your needs, and we will be talking a little bit today about some of the factors that will go into deciding when is the best time 
to purchase a home um, when you're going through the divorce process. So thank you again for having me today, Adina. Oh, you're so welcome. So I want to begin this call. You know, healthcare and um, housing both fall, fell into a similar category for us because we really thought about them as two of the big financial concerns that people have. I, there's many other financial concerns, but these are two biggies that make a transition for most couples when they're going through a divorce. So we really wanted to take them on, but we also wanted to take them on with the overview of someone like Mackenzie, who really looks at how people are planning for overall financially for this transition. So Mackenzie, give us a little bit of an introduction. When people are going through a divorce, you know, what is, you know, what are some of the biggest concerns that people have and, you know, some specifics around these kinds of issues where there is transition um, housing, health care, other kinds of things. But what are some of the things that really are difficult for people and present emotional challenges perhaps? So really at the end of the day, the overriding theme of the um, individuals that I've worked with are they want to know if they're going to be okay. And no matter how much money someone may have, they could have millions or they could have less than millions, as the majority of people have less than millions, and they're concerned that their lifestyle is going to be interrupted and that their their goals are going to be completely off track, that they're not going to be able to meet retirement goals. Um, they're just, they're, they're concerned that their accustomed lifestyle is going to be completely thrown off track, um, and they're overwhelmed with starting over. Um, the other big concern is where are they going to live? Um, you know, they don't, most of the time they do not want to move out of their home, um, and they don't want to disrupt their family. You know, their kids have been raised in that home, and they really don't want to have to move them or change school districts. Um, so that's, that becomes another really huge concern. Um, and I would say the other, the other big, the other very final big concern is about their, their family, about their children. Um, they want to make sure that they can continue on path and not be totally disrupted. Um, they want to continue be able, being able to plan for their college or whatever they were planning to do, continue with their activities. They don't want to pull them away from their friends. Those are really the, the biggest issues, Adina. Great. And, you know, it's a great overview and absolutely, you know, the case, you know, we've been operating under one set of beliefs and one operating system and now we're moving into something new and what is the change going to mean? And we don't like change as human beings. We, most of us, we really don't. And so when we're faced with these things that are going to change, it really can create a lot of anxiety. So Cheryl, in your case, very specifically to housing, you know, what are some of the big concerns when you're working with clients that face, like how would you articulate and name them? Well, I have a number of concerns. I mean, I'm going to talk about specifically what a mortgage person would look at, and um, and that usually is income, assets, liabilities, and we have to think about what we have in the way of marital debts and what's going to happen to those marital debts. First of all, we want to make sure that who's ever responsible for those debts during the separation period is making those payments on time. Secondly, we have to decide is how are we going to split those debts? Who's taking responsibility for what? And to make sure that the debts that are not um, being covered by you as the, I'm going to refer to people as the staying partner because that's who we're talking to today, today, 
get removed from those things that um, are not your responsibility. Next, we look at assets. If you're planning on purchasing a home, where is the money coming from? And most of the times, again, those are sitting in marital assets. How are they going to get separated? Um, next, we'll talk about if you have a residence, what's going to happen to that residence? As Mackenzie mentioned, people don't like changes. People don't necessarily want to move. But n- normally, somebody's going to be moving themselves from that property. How is that going to happen? What's going to happen to the mortgage? Um, and then there's income. Are we looking to alimony, support payments, child support for qualifying purposes? And how does that really play into the factor of keeping the current mortgage or buying a new home? Right. So, you know, in this big picture, there really are, you know, a lot of things to be thinking through. So while there may be a lot going on emotionally and the big picture financially, how am I going to afford the future and things like that, that there is this issue of some really specific details of how certain things will be afforded and not afforded regarding housing, which is so critical. And Lisa, when people talk to you, you know, what are some of the biggest concerns that people have that you see who are making the transition through divorce? I found that there's three big financial worries when it comes to health insurance. Uh, The first one being, will they be able to afford the premiums? You know, we've all heard that the cost of premiums have gone up. But what are the options with that? Um, second one is, will they be able to afford the deductibles, the co-pays, and other medical bills? Um, you know, there's many different plans as far as that's concerned as well. Um, you know, and we can always adjust things so that it fits everybody's comfort level. Um, the third thing is people are always concerned that what if they get a plan that has loopholes and then they aren't aware of the loopholes and they end up with huge medical bills? You know, and one thing that will help put uh, people's mind at ease is that many of the changes to the health care, to health care and health insurance right now, um, there's caps, there's limits on how much you can have out of pocket. So that, you know, at the very least should help put, you know, some minds at ease. So those are the big concerns that I've come across. That's great, Lisa. Thank you for just kind of laying the foundation for us. And now, Lisa, I want to go into some questions very specifically about health insurance. And because we know that we want to have information, but we have information to take some of the fear out of things. So maybe first, can you give us a a big, broad picture of the Affordable Care Act and how that started to change things in this divorce picture for people who are now seeking insurance just for themselves? Sure, absolutely. Um, I'm going to talk about um, how things have changed with the Affordable Care Act um, because, you know, what's different from before? Um, Right now, the huge thing is that it's a guaranteed issue plan, meaning that there's no more pre-existing conditions and people cannot be rated higher and get higher premiums because they have an illness. So that makes it a lot easier for people to now go out and get individual insurance. And it even goes with small group insurance, you know. Um, so, you know, if you have some sort of illness or pre-existing condition, you don't have to worry about that anymore. Um, another change is that there's a lot more benefits that must be included now. Physicals at no cost. Um, maternity has to be included in all plans. Um, colonoscopies. Bone density scans. Like there, there's a few things that, you know, have to be included in the plan where even if you have a deductible, you're gonna you're not gonna pay anything for these benefits. Um, 
With that, though, there is the downfall that with more benefits being included, we need to pay more with the premium. So, you know, rates have definitely gone up a little bit, and this is for both individuals and group plans. But to help with that rising cost, um, some people can qualify and get help uh, with a government subsidy. So, um, you know, and I think we're going to probably touch on that a little bit more specifically um, later on. But, you know, those are just a few of the changes. Um, Some other important things are uh, now there's open enrollment, from, and it's going to be from October to December of every year. But something that's important to know is that is that there are special enrollment periods for people who are going through changes, such as divorce. So if there is a divorce that happens in, let's say, you know, June or July, um, somebody who wants to go on an individual plan can go on under a special enrollment period, even at that time. So, um, you know, another change is possibly uh, fines for people without health insurance. And, you know, just to give you guys a number, you know, an amount of what that fine is, if you go without health insurance, it's $95 for an adult, $47.50 per child, or 1% of the family's income. And that's in 2014. And then the price, of the amount of the fine actually goes up significantly in 2015 and 2016. So those are some of the, the really big changes with the Affordable Care Act. Let me just ask you a few clarifying questions. When you say the fine, is that per visit or is that an annual if it's discovered? How, how does that work? Oh, that's for the year. If you go even a month without health insurance through the year, um, you will get that fine. And it's $95 per adult or $47.50 per child. Um, and that's, that comes at the end when you file your taxes in 2000. I'm just going to use 2014 as an example. When you go to file your taxes in 2014, they're going to see that you missed, you know, a month of health insurance because now all of this is being reported to the IRS. So, and that's when you'll get fined. Right. And in terms of those special enrollment periods that you talked about for people going through transitions, you said special enrollment, but is that time fixed or is that, you know, you can enroll at any time that you need to under something that's called a special enrollment period? Yes, you have the special enrollment period and it's whatever time within that special enrollment period. If if that's answering your question. Okay, great. Thanks. So, you know, in terms of couples who are going through a divorce, and previously one, the entire family or one person may have been, you know, one spouse was uh, covered by someone else's insurance, and now there might be a spouse who is on their own. What kind of options are there for people who are now having to seek health care on their own? So, you know, between things that are subsidies that are not subsidies, different types of policies and programs, or, you know, we used to look for associations we could join and things like that. But what are the options for somebody who is now looking for health insurance on their own? Sure. The main options are um, if you're on a spouse's plan, you can even take COBRA after the divorce is final. Now, I typically don't recommend that, especially now, um, now that there's guaranteed issue plans, but that is an option where, you know, we were talking about people not liking change. Well, you can keep the same plan, but it's COBRA, and you can hold on to that for 18 months. So and if you just define what COBRA is for our callers, what does that mean in case somebody doesn't know exactly how COBRA works? COBRA would be uh, keeping the exact same plan that you have, but again, you have um, you have 18 months to find another plan and come off that plan. So it's for somebody who wants to keep their current plan, um, but is no longer um, a spouse of the the employee. 
So um, they would go on their own plan. Technically, it's another individual type plan. Um, it's their own plan, but it's really to use um, while you're looking as a transition, you know, while you're looking for another plan, of, you know, a more of a long-term plan. So um, the reason why people did that before, oh, I'm sorry? I was going to say that's option number one. <laughs> Yes, that's one option. Um, the next option would be um, going on an individual plan, which would be um, direct with an insurance carrier. Now, that's typically what we would recommend, um, you know, unless you qualify for a subsidy. If you qualify for a subsidy, which, again, I can, uh, I can get into that more specifically, um, if you qualify for a subsidy, uh, then you would go direct through healthcare.gov, which is the marketplace. And with that, um, you know, you find out, you submit an application, you find out if you're accepted for the subsidy and how much the subsidy is, and, um, you know, you just, you find a plan after that, one that would fit your needs. So that's another option. Um, and then lastly, I mean, you also have the option of getting group coverage. If your company offers group coverage, you could possibly go on their group plan. So um, there's different rules for those depending upon, you know, who, um, who your company is. So sometimes the rules are they have certain enrollment periods that you may not be able to get onto the plan. So you may need to take, um, you know, one of these uh, you know, affordable care options instead in the meantime and then go on your company plan during open enrollment. So those are just some of the options that we have um, as far as, you know, uh, opportunities that now exist for divorcing couples. So, Lisa, just two more questions, and then we're going to pop over to Cheryl for a few minutes. But um, in terms of the subsidies and how they work and what kind of cutoffs there are and things like that, you know, can you give us some sense of who, what kind of a person is eligible, what are the criteria for um, falling within the subsidy that's there? And then go ahead and tell us about whether we have to use the government site or what the options are for actual enrollment now. Absolutely. Okay. So subsidies work by taking your zip code, age, and expected gross income for the year. Um, in this case, it would be 2014, whatever you're expecting to make. And there's subsidy calculators available out there. I know um, IBX.com has one, um, Independence Blue Cross. So what you would do is you can plug that information into the subsidy calculator, and that will tell us what you qualify for before you apply on the healthcare.gov or marketplace exchange. Um, to give you a couple of examples of, you know, the number, specific numbers that would qualify you for a subsidy, um, if you are one person living in a household and you make under 46000 a year, you would qualify for a subsidy. With a family of two, if you make under $62,000 a year, um, you're, you would qualify for a subsidy. Um, family of three would be under 78000 a year. And it, it just, it goes up from there. The numbers go up from there. So um, to know if you would want to go on healthcare.gov or other options, um, I always suggest if you don't qualify for a subsidy, go direct with the insurance carrier. And the reason for that is healthcare.gov still has plenty of glitches. So, you know, it takes a lot longer than filling out, you know, a direct application with the insurance carrier. Um, so that's one reason. Second reason is, you know, security is really not great on that website still. 
So, um, you know, putting your personal information on there, if you don't have to do it, I wouldn't recommend doing it. So um, those, are, those are the two options. You don't have to use healthcare.gov. Well, thank you so much. We're gonna, definitely going to circle back around to you in a little bit. Um, one okay. one qualifying, uh, clarifying question I did want to ask, when we talk about income, and this is going to come up for Cheryl too, but in terms of health care, so if the divorce agreement has alimony in it or child support, does that qualify when we're calculating health insurance as income? Uh, no, actually, child, no, it does not. So this is earned income. So if somebody that hasn't had a job and for that first year they might not have a job, they may qualify for a significant subsidy because the an alimony or a child support may not does not count toward income. Is that correct? Correct. Correct. Okay. Well, that's really good information. I'm glad I asked that clarifying question there. So, Lisa, we're going to circle back around to you in a little bit. But, Cheryl, um, I want to talk to you here, and let's move over to mortgages for a little bit because some things are, you know, some of the same issues arise, like how am I going to afford now? Um, one of the biggest expenses that arises for couples is now there's going to be two households um, instead of one and figuring out all the details. So some of those things that people need to consider when they're even thinking about what arrangements can we have afterwards? You know, I know when I speak to couples, sometimes they will, this one, you know, I'm automatically going to stay here, so-and-so is automatically going to move out and things like that. But there really are a lot of options. So what are some of the things people need to consider when they're thinking about their post-divorce living arrangements? I think they really have to, you know, think of their unknowns first before they make a decision. You know, it might be best if they're really in the um, initial stages and they feel that they have to move out is, you know, to consider a rental versus buying immediately. You know, the second thing is, you know, maybe they do just want to buy. And then you have to look at all the factors that go into qualifying for a mortgage to see if those things are going to be available. Will I have the income needed for a mortgage? Will I have the assets for down payment and closing costs? As I mentioned, the liabilities that were joint liabilities, has that been split that now I only have my uh, liabilities against me? Um, those are the things that you really have to consider before you make a decision as where do I want to be and how can I afford this um, new venture? Right. And I just want to throw in there, too, I was recently reading an article that talks about, you know, one of the reasons in this article focused on women, but I imagine it would be, I mean, of course, it would be true either way around, that sometimes the focus on keeping the marital home, the home where the mm-hmm. children have been, can be the thing that really sinks people into significant financial um, straits after a divorce and into significant periods of debt because in determining, you know, what does it afford to stay here, you know, we might look at the mortgage and utilities, but forget about tons of other expenses that go along with having mm-hmm. a house. And so it's a really important decision to, to think about, think through carefully. You really do. And I always suggest, and I'm sure Mackenzie would say the same, is to look at your budget post-divorce. What are going to be the sources of your income? We necessarily do not have to include child support and alimony, but if there's child support and alimony there and you want to consider it, that's part of your income base. Um, you mentioned the utility payments. We will look at certain what we call debt-to-income ratios for qualifying purposes, and we don't want to see the overall liabilities. That's going to be including your mortgage, any installment liabilities, any um, credit card debt to be over 43% of your gross income. That's not net after taxes, that's prior to taxes. 
So that's what we're really going to be looking at in the way of qualifying. So, yes, we can include in there alimony and child support, but there is a time period in which you must have been receiving it before we can, as a mortgage company, start using that for qualifying purposes, and that's going to be 12 months. And why we want to see a history of that is that we want to make sure that's been paid on time. Is it something that is consistent? If it's not consistent, it's not going to be able to be used. And we also are going to be looking forward and making sure that there is a guaranteed time period in which that income is going to be received. So from the date of going to settlement, our money has to be shown in documentation to be carrying forward for a minimum of three years. For child support, we will look at the age of the children, and we are going to assume that at age 18, that child support is going to be going away. So if the children are over 15, we're not going to necessarily be including that income for that particular child. So those Mm -hmm. those are some of the factors that go into looking, you know, how is that mortgage going to continue? Now, you mentioned specifically about keeping the house itself. We will do an appraisal on the property to make sure that the property will appraise that the loan to value, the new mortgage to the value, is um, acceptable. Um, some people, unfortunately, are still underwater on their mortgages and might still have a problem getting a mortgage based on the value of their property. The spouse that's moving out might actually want some equity from the property. So can you afford adding that additional um, mortgage onto your liability and being able to carry that mortgage continuing with the new um, debt added into that? Right. So I just want to I just want to jump in there and clarify for our yeah. callers and make sure because that was a really important point is that, you know, if one person is going to stay in the house and then the other is going to move out, moving out partner, is the moving out partner may be entitled to a certain amount of equity in that house because we're dividing up the assets. So the house would be refinanced and then that equity given over. So now the mortgage for the person who will be staying in the house is likely going to go up because a lot of the equity in it may have just gone away, right? So now you have an entirely new mortgage situation for the person who's staying in the home. Is that what you're saying? That is correct. So let's use an example. Say that the value of the property is 200000 that you have a $50,000 mortgage on there. So there's $150,000 in equity. And if they're looking for half of that equity, they're going to take the difference between the two divide it in half, and you're going to add that into the mortgage now, and your new mortgage could be somewhere around 125000 So your amount of the liability has increased, and that yes. additional money is going to be going back to the leading partner as part of the settlement. But the right. thing is, the mortgage is now in your name. The house is now in your name. You're going to remove them from the deed and the title as part of that transaction. Right. So we're going to come back to Mackenzie sort of after this because she's going to help us think through some of these really big decisions we have. Um, and what about, you know, you're the partner who is moving out or maybe you're both moving out, um, but you want to get a new home. So either both partners moving out and purchasing new homes or, or one person's moving out and getting a new home. What does that partner need to think about as they're trying to purchase something new? What's the timing and what are the considerations for them? Well, timing is going to be different for everybody. It depends on where you are in the process of going through the um, final stages of your divorce. So, again, we're looking for assets and the source of those assets. We're looking for the uh, split of the liabilities. 
we're looking for um, the income to support um, the debts going forward. So all those factors go into purchasing a new home and the qualification for the mortgage associated with that house. And, you know, again, alimony and child support, if we're going to be considering that, how that plays into that picture. Right. And one of the things I know is important, even from my own situation, I remember, too, is that the person who's moving out, as you said before earlier, I think, is, has to be off of that mortgage. So somehow or another, all that all has to have transferred and cleared if they need, right, if they if their income that they have and their assets that they have do not support two households. So if they're, you know, having their name on the old house, mortgage, if their partner is staying there, that going and buying something new, that they may not qualify for something new until their name is fully off and that debt is removed. That, kind of is, that is very it's, true. Yes. It, even if your, your divorce documentation states that the other person is responsible for that payment, that does not mean that payment has gone away. You have signed on that mortgage on that dotted line. It is your responsibility. It becomes, does not become your responsibility if that other person physically takes you off of that mortgage. Until you are physically taken off of that mortgage debt, that debt still belongs to you. So if you go to purchase a new house and that, has, that transaction has not transpired yet, you are responsible for that payment. And from a mortgage company's perspective, you might not qualify until that is actually taken care of. And that goes along back to what I was starting to say in the beginning as well. The payment of those liabilities, the payments of those credit cards, the payments of those car payments. If you don't think you're, you're making that payment and they are, and they don't make that payment and that's in a joint name, that is affecting you and your credit score. And it might keep you from being able to get a new mortgage if that is not handled in a proper fashion. So it's very important as to what's happening with those um, with those liabilities. Right, which is really important. I'm actually going to flip in a minute back over to Mackenzie because, Mackenzie, you can put down a little note here as I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about credit scores too because Cheryl just raised this idea of, you know, while a couple is married, whatever debts they have, payments they make, either add to or can detract from their credit scores and things like that, mm-hmm. once the is separated, each person, you know, as they did before, has their own credit score, but they don't have somebody else's. So if one person had a bad credit score and somebody else had a good one, they may have been able to manage certain things. So now each person's responsible for their own credit score and things like that, and that has many implications for all kinds of things financially going forward. Um, And one one person may not have even had a lot of, you know, build up for their own credit score. So Mackenzie, put that down as a little note because we're going to come talk to you about that. Okay. Um, so, show is there anything, you know, before we move over to Mackenzie on some big financial planning around some of these things, anything else you wanted to wrap up with? Now, I think we covered the major parts of this. It's just always um, good to remember that not to move forward too quickly. Make sure that you feel that you're comfortable um, moving forward into purchasing a new home or taking on new debt um, because there are just so many unknowns and you want to feel like, um, the big things are taken care of before you take on anything new in your life. So, you know, it might, again, there's no rush into getting into a new home purchase without making sure that some things are financially taken care of. And Cheryl, I'm so glad you brought that in as your final point because I know in working with my clients, one of the most difficult things is not to make big decisions in a rush because of the emotional pull. And one of the most difficult things for couples is that period of time when they're still living under the same roof 
when they know that they're getting a divorce or they're in the process of divorcing, it can be really very stressful and very difficult to do. So there can be this push and this rush to go and make a change. And sometimes it happens very early on. And so figuring out how to navigate in that, I know I work with clients a lot in that because once we make certain decisions, there can be very long-term implications. So I'm really glad that you raised it. So now, Mackenzie, we're coming back to you, and you have a really tough job here. (laughs) 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 Because Lisa's, you know, painted this picture, right? You know, now I'm looking at health insurance. I may qualify for subsidies, which could really help, but I'm going to have to start to think about premiums and how that's going to happen. Cheryl's raised for us these kinds of issues around credit score and how we start to think about the nuances. And so now, you know, people are coming to you and, you know, you're helping people really think about that budget and how they're planning for it is, you know, how do we start to put people at ease a little bit when there's so many big things to be figuring out? How do you, how do you do that? And then we'll get into some specifics, but how do you help people feel comfortable with making these kinds of uh, changes and decisions? Well, really the first thing that um, whenever I'm, I'm meeting with somebody new or somebody that is experiencing such a major life transition, such as divorce, it is so important that they really take the time to start monitoring what they're spending and what, what, they, what expenses they have. Actually create a budget. And it's not, you know, something that all of us kind of do it in our heads regularly, but it's actually really beneficial to get it um, out of your head and onto paper or onto the computer, you know, whatever's more comfortable for you. Um, Because the whole thing of it is, is you really cannot make the decision of whether or not to stay in your home or move out of your home or rent until you know, kind of, number one, what are your regular expenses that you and your, you or you and your family need, um, your kids, what kind of expenses do you have on a regular basis without even the mortgage payment? so the first thing to do is really just get it out of your head on the paper and start tracking it, is tracking what you're spending. Right. Um, and Mackenzie, I'm just going to jump in there because I know you and I have had the conversation. I am totally guilty also of being the one who budgets in the big picture, so utilities and car payments and things like that, but not the, you know, trips to Starbucks and not the things I pick up for kit my for snacks for my kids on the way home from school and not the book I just picked up at Barnes and Noble and, you know, those kinds of things that just happen, you know, as expenses along the way that we don't think about when we sit down to do big picture budget. And I know you and I have talked about just how important it is to use a budget worksheet, which you and I have developed, so we have some people can ask us for it, that really gets to all those details, the presents we buy, Christmas, birthdays, those kinds of things. They're all part of budget, right? Yes, that budget worksheet is so important because it actually gets you thinking about all the little things that add up into, you know, big, larger amounts of money. You know, you have to think about, you know, how much you spend on your grocery bills, how much you spend on your utility bills, but also how much do you spend on your hair and your makeup and clothing or whatever. Um, you have to, sp- you have to really calculate all those things. Um, so, yeah, and the other thing in your budget that a lot of people forget that they really 
if they really want to be successful financially and be really truly financially secure, the one thing that people often forget is they have to also make room to pay themselves monthly. There should be some, they should be saving something towards their emergency funds or towards future goals or, and both, you know, if possible, but they need to be saving something for themselves. You know, ideally every person um, should have at least three months of living expenses saved in emergency funds. And it could be as much depending on your, you know, how stable your, your job is or if you own your own business, it could be as much as, you know, have six months uh, worth of emergency funds. But right. So I'm just going to jump in there one second because we're talking to people who are already nervous because, right, there isn't a lot of money in the pot right now. So the kinds of things that you're talking about is, you know, part of the empowerment and part of the strength can be from coming towards it. Like I know if I'm fearing that the money isn't there, I don't even want to make the budget because I'm afraid that it's going to make me more scared to have the reality. Chances are sometimes when I sit down, you know, one is it's not always as bad, but two is just having, being able to create a plan. So even if it doesn't look great right now, but if you're sitting and you're doing the work and then you're looking strategically, well, what do I cut back on? What can I really afford here? Does it make sense to rent? Does it make sense to buy? Does it make sense to, but those decisions are coming from a place of knowledge and information rather than a place of emotion or fear, which really is where the strength comes from, I think, right? Absolutely. It, it, it really, you know, every time I work with, uh, somebody who, you know, puts down, creates the budget for the first time, they tell me afterwards that they feel so empowered by this because they finally have forced themselves to really look it in the face and figure out what are they spending, like what do they need to live every month. And it's not, it's not they, the, the general consensus is, you know, that it was very helpful for them because they realized that they were spending money in some areas that they really shouldn't have been spending money and they're going to reduce it in those areas. But it, it allows them to and start consciously thinking about when, you know, when they're actually spending every month. It starts them to think about, well, do I really need to buy that or, you know, things that are not necessary in nature, you know. Right, until a transition. So we just have a couple of minutes left, Mackenzie, so I want to ask you about two specific things. It's talk to us a little bit about buying and renting. You know, what are some of the big financial decisions? Because I know, you know, lots of times people say, well, you don't want to rent because you're just throwing money down the drain, right? You're not building equity in anything. So there's this inclination to buy sometimes. But what really are the smart ways to think about it from a financial perspective, the buying or renting, when you're going through a transition like this? Okay. Well, you know, if, if there's really no right or wrong answer for this. It depends on everybody's personal situation. Um, so if you looked at it from strictly a financial perspective and you didn't take into all any other factors, yes. I mean, at the end of the day, would it be great to put your money into something that you will one day own? Is that better financially? Absolutely. But if you are in the middle of a transition like this, you're, you are, your head is in a thousand different directions. You might not be settled really on where you want to live. Then, you know, really, is it a great time to buy something that's really hard to sell if you have to sell it and be stuck there? Probably not. Um, the other thing to consider is, you know, after you've done your budget, can you really, do you really want to afford the home? 
can you afford the home? Because it's not just about the mortgage, because a lot of times people say, oh, you know, the, 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 the rent that I would pay, you know, let's say it's like 1300 well, I'd be able to get a mortgage for like 1300 But you're forgetting about all the other expenses that go along with the home. You know, if you're forgetting about the fact that then now you have to pay real estate tax, um, school district tax, now you're going to have to pay for something if it breaks. Um, so a home at the end of the day is usually more expensive than, um, you know, renting a home than renting a home. Buying a home is more expensive generally than renting a home. Um, you know, and the whole thing of it is, is when you're, when you're, you know, creating a budget and you're looking at what, what money is coming in and what money is going out, well, you ha- don't forget to, to leave wiggle room in to pay the taxes and to pay for home maintenance expenses. And the one thing that I, that I, I honestly, that clients seem to most struggle with is that they, women especially, tend to want to stay in the home that they're already in, you know, um, because quite frankly, it's filled with memories. It's filled with family memories. And as comforting as those memories may be, they will not help you pay for a roof that needs repair or an air conditioning unit that no longer works. Uh, while it's really natural for you to place sentimental value on your house, it's essential for you to consider the economic implications for staying put or selling. Um, and also, if you sell your house while married, you're then exempt. You have a $500,000 capital gain exemption. If you wait until you divorce, now you, and you decide to sell, well, then your capital gain exemption is only two fifty. So that, you know, could be a costly mistake for some people if they wait to get divorced and then sell the home and the capital gain is over two fifty. well, now they owe a lot of money in tax. So, Mackenzie, I have, we literally have just a few seconds left, but I want to, on this part, but I want to just ask you, if somebody has, doesn't have much of a credit score because maybe most things have been in their spouse's name or, you know, whether it be credit cards and the income and things like that, what are some, you know, a couple things somebody can start to do from the very beginning to build a good credit score? Uh, well, what once they, I mean, whenever you put um, any sort of bills in your name and you start to make those monthly payments, that will build up your credit score. So really, um, I mean, obviously it takes a little bit of time, but if you can put utility bills in your name, um, Obviously, if you start paying rent somewhere, that goes towards good building up your credit. Um, if you get a small credit card, that goes towards, and you're making timely payments, that goes to building up good credit. Those are the easiest ways, really, to start building up your credit. Right. Thanks. And I even tell, tell people, clients, sometimes even if you get a credit card and charge $15 a month and then pay the $15 a month, that's great. You don't have to use your credit card if it makes you uncomfortable, but have it for a credit score. So that's great. So all three of you have offered just huge amounts of information here, and we have about five minutes left. So what I'd love to do is to circle back around. Lisa, I'm going to start with you and then back to Cheryl and Mackenzie. And, you know, just ask you to, you know, give us some sort of final 
closing thoughts based on the things that you've shared and that you've heard from all the callers here, because usually something pops up and it's like, oh, I want to make sure I mention that. And then tell people how they can get in touch with you if they have more questions or if they want to talk about health insurance plans, disability insurance plans and things like that, or if they want to talk about mortgages, how can they reach you? So, Lisa, let's start with you. Something you want to share and then how people can reach you. Sure, absolutely. Um, I just basically want to share that, um, you know, if you're losing your health insurance, there are a million other options out there. So it's not something to stress about. And I know it's easier said than than done, but, um, you know, there's a million options out there. Um, I I did come up with uh, two websites that actually uh, may be of interest to people. Um, One is kf as in frank, f as in frank.org. And that's a place where you can, they have a subsidy calculator. And you can plug in your information if that's something you wanted to look into and see, you know, the amount of the subsidy you would qualify for. So that's one thing I wanted to share. Um, And then many of these insurance carriers have on their sites, you know, facts and different questions that have been answered about the health care reform. So you can look up your insurance carrier, you know, a big one is um, IDX.com for Blue Cross, and they'll give you answers to a lot of your questions. So um, those were a couple of sites I wanted to share. Um, and then just as far as contact information for me goes, um, you know, I'm just, I'm here to walk you through the entire process. So my website, which you can get a hold of me at, is positiveinsurancesolutions.com. So on there is all my information. Thank you, Lisa. Cheryl, over to you, about 60 seconds here. What's something you want to share and how can people reach you? As I've mentioned, I think many times during this call, each individual is going to be a little bit different in where they are in this process. And I think it's best if you are considering buying a home or refinancing a home and need a mortgage to just reach out to whoever you feel comfortable with, but I will give you my contact information, and just go through basically a pre-qualification. We will run a credit report, so if there's any credit concerns there, we can deal with them up front. We can talk about income. We can talk about assets. We can talk about the monthly payments, and just see where you are in in this process today. Um, The best way to contact me is either by email, which is C-C-O-N as in Nancy, A-R-D as in David, at Philly, spelled out P-H-I-L-L-Y, advisors.com, or on my cell phone, which is 215-850-7320. And I'd be happy to walk you through the process of just figuring out where you are. And um, I wanted to mention, too, just about the credit report. I feel it's very important in the process in the beginning to have a credit report now to work with. And everybody can get once a year a free credit report at um, annualcreditreport.com. And that is the government-sponsored credit reporting site. There's no cost for that, but it will show you as of today what is on your report. And I think that's always a good place to start especially in the beginning part of um, going through the divorce process. Thank you, Medina. Thanks, Cheryl. And Mackenzie, that's something you want to share and then how people can reach you. Okay. Um, I, if you are somebody that really wants to take the initiative and get organized, um, there's actually a, a, some great sites 
that are free online that you can go and, and kind of go on there and help yourself just get organized to figure out what exactly you have and do an online budget um, and also organize your assets after, after the divorce. But So if you go to www.mintmint.com, that's a great free website. Uh, there's also www.smartaboutmoney.org. Um, and that, again, is another great free website. Um, for just, you know, kind of tips about money and um, some light reading, it's geared more towards females, but it's, it's called wife.org, and that's www.wife.org. And that, it talks about, it's like money and divorce, um, divorce support, uh, money clubs, things of that nature. So it's something worth checking out. Um, the other thing is, you know, um, Adina and I, we've created a budget uh, worksheet that's an ex- actually an Excel paper hard copy. Um, if any of you are interested in having that, uh, we would, you know, definitely provide that to you. You can just um, send an email um, to me, and I'm happy to provide that to you. Um, and so what's, it, I, what's your website there, Mackenzie, so people can find you? Yeah, um, my website is entrustfinancial.com. It's www.entrustfinancial.com. And uh, my name is Mackenzie, obviously, so you'll be able to point me out and please feel free to send an email. Um, I'm happy to help. Because uh, the other thing is, is now that you've reached such a, such a, um, you know, a crossroads, you're, you're at this very new starting point and actually you're starting a new life, which is actually very exciting. You know, this is the time to have a professional take a look and help you to make sure that your settlement is going to now help you with your long-term goals, long-term and short-term goals. So if you don't have a financial uh, professional, please feel free to reach out to me. Great. Thank you to all of you. And, you know, so please take advantage of the resources. You know that you can reach me at Adina at divorceessentials.net or www.divorceessentials.net or on the Mainline Family Law Center website, myhealthydivorce.com. And so we please, we really want to be here to support you. Reach out to us. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healthy Divorce Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can find me, Sharon Pastore, or my partner, Chris Pastore, at MyHealthyDivorce.com. If you like this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember, you can have a healthy divorce. It's how you divorce that matters.